help you in any way? Does his love comfort you at all? Do you share anything in common because of the Holy Spirit? Has Christ ever been gentle and loving towards you? If any of these things has happened to you, then agree with one another. Have the same love. Be one in spirit and in the way you think and act. By doing this, you will make my joy complete. Don't do anything only to get ahead. Don't do it because you are proud. Instead, be humble. Value others more than yourselves. None of you should look out just for your own good. Each of you should also look out for the good of others. As you deal with one another, you should think and act as Jesus did. In his very nature, he was God. Jesus was equal with God. But Jesus didn't take advantage of that fact. Instead, he made himself nothing. He did this by taking on the nature of a servant. He was made just like human beings. He appeared as a man. He was humble and obeyed God completely. He did this even though it, even though it led to his death. Even worse, he died on the cross. So God lifted, lifted him up to the highest place. God gave him the name that is above every name. When the name of Jesus is spoken, everyone will kneel down to worship him. Everyone's mouth will say that Jesus Christ is Lord. And God the Father will receive the glory. My dear friends, you have always obeyed God. You obeyed God while I was with you and have obeyed even more while I am not with you. So continue to work at... at so continue to work out your own salvation. Do it with fear and trembling. God is working in you. He wants your plans and your acts to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Then you will be pure and without blame. You will be children of God without fault among sinful and evil people. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Thank you. Thank you, Zeke. Appreciate that. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you this morning. I've got two objects that are really uh, actually kind of moving to me right now. I have my grandfather's Bible. He passed away in, in the spring, and it's from 1989. It's got all the addresses where he's lived and all his notes, and it's just making me feel connected to him up here. And I also have reading glasses, so <laughs> that's depressing. <laughs> All right. Well, I had a wonderful time up at the men's retreat uh, yesterday, and I just want to say welcome to everyone joining us online and all of you here, and we had just uh, the best time. I'm not 100% sure if the men are watching, but if they are, what's up? So glad that you are with us this morning. Had such a wonderful time. Huge thanks to Ryan French and Tom Barreto, who procured and cooked all of the food. And also thanks 
to Steve for opening the Kahneman cabin so that we could all be there together. And Steve really led really well this time of sharing and reflection together. And it was just... It was just really a lot of fun. You can see the guys struggling with the fire. Uh, Kenny hadn't been there yet, so we were, they were waiting for Kenny to come so that the fire could get really get going. Um, but it was, a, it, was a great, it was a great time, and we had a lot of fun. And hearing the men talk and share with one another for about an hour and a half was really, honestly, one of the most encouraging things I've experienced during this um, pandemic. There was a lot of honest sharing, and these men were really courageous in their vulnerability and in their sharing. And it reminded me that we are all really in a place of at different levels of going through this really hard time and struggling in many different ways. It was, it was really comforting to me personally to hear the other men share how isolated they felt because I felt isolated too over this time. And um, so it was a great time uh, for sharing. So I, I, I know that there's things in the work for the women to get together, and I just want to encourage you whenever the women's gathering retreat happens to really make time for that. It was, it was, a, it was a balm for the soul, for sure. It was really wonderful. So I've titled my sermon this morning, We Are One in the Spirit, an Anthem of Resistance. I believe that a cross-shaped unity amongst people led by the Spirit of God can be a powerful and impactful resistance against a society that continues to fracture along political, social, racial, and sexual identity lines. For a handful of minutes this morning, we are going to reflect and meditate on this passage in Philippians that Zeke read so wonderfully. And on the song, sung a few moments ago by our acapella worship group, I hope that in spending time thinking about what unity shaped by the cross looks like, a cross-shaped unity, and that we will spend time thinking and examining how that is very different from something that we can think of as easy unity, or another way to phrase it as cheap unity. As Jesus followers, we are to be known as people who love others, but we have to be honest with ourselves. Outside of these walls, outside of this room, and outside of your computer screen, <laughs> there's a lot of doubt as to whether Jesus' followers are, in fact, people who love others. It's a reality that we have to engage with. Christians, in the broadest sense of that word, are being conformed to the patterns of our world rather than being transformed by the sacrificial love of Jesus. And we have to come back to that place of transformation. Today, we'll spend some time reading Paul's thoughts on this because Church people not living into their identities as Christ followers is nothing new. It was something that's from the very beginning of the church. It's been our Achilles heel from the start. And Paul has a clear vision as to a way to get back to the cross. By meditating on this powerful song that we are going to sing a couple of different iterations of, I want to share with you how I have been challenged to let go of cheap unity and embrace an identity that pulls me into unity with each of you that is shaped by Jesus and the cross. So the song we've just heard is a song, how many of you all have heard that song before? You know, kind of raise your hand. Yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those songs that I don't remember learning it, I just know that I've always known it. And um, it's one of those songs that I love the melody. I love that it's in 
uh, a minor key. We did lower it to the E sharp, E sharp, Emily. We did lower it to E minor. I, okay, just acknowledge that. But it was normally an F sharp minor. So, but it, in that minor key and in the melody, I just love it. It has a, it has this connection of something kind of of deep and mysterious. And the song popped into my head a few weeks ago, and I couldn't stop it from being in my brain. And then when I was given this Sunday to preach, I thought, oh, why don't I use this song as part of what I want to bring a message this morning? So it's not a good idea to preach on a song that you're trying to get out of your head. That does not work. So if you have a song stuck in your head, don't choose to then speak about it, okay? Because that, that's, that's not something that happens. When I began to treat the song as more than just a throwback tune, but as something with a deeper message, I was challenged by it. And let me tell you, this song has a power that is really, if you let it get into you, is pretty instructive for the ways that we can be people that are unified by the cross. It was written by this man who's really fascinating, wrote one of the best-selling management and leadership business books ever put out. His name is Peter Schultes. He passed away in 2009, but this is from his obituary. Peter wrote the hymn, They'll Know We Are Christians by Our Love, while he was a parish priest at St. Brendan's on the south side of Chicago in the 1960s. At the time, he was leading a youth choir out of the church basement and was looking for an appropriate song for a series of ecumenical interracial events. When he couldn't find such a song, he wrote the now famous hymn in a single day. His experiences at St. Brendan's and in the Chicago Civil Rights Movement influenced him for the rest of his life. After he left the priesthood, he got married and was a social worker and then got into business. He is a fascinating person. But this song is a legacy moving out of the south side of Chicago in his ministry there. What used to be for me was just a summer camp or youth group song has now become a powerful anthem of resistance to a Christianity that stands detached from the suffering and struggle of the other. It embodies the Zulu proverb Ubuntu, which says, I am a person through other people. My humanity is tied to yours. The call in Peter's song is to be one in the spirit. And it's an echo of what we read in Paul's letter to the Philippians. There is this interesting correlation between the song and the letter. And I'm not sure if Mr. Schultes intended the passage in the song to integrate so well, but they do. As the first verse calls us to be one in spirit so that our identity would be that of love, Paul does something similar in his letter. In the same way, we understand that Mr. Schultes wrote this song during a tremendous period of racial strife in the 60s in the south side of Chicago. We have to understand where Paul is writing to the church in Philippi uh, while he's in prison for preaching the gospel in Rome. So Paul is writing to this church, and he's been placed there by the Romans for preaching the word of God, for preaching about Jesus. And in Acts chapter 16... The church in Philippi is the first church planted in Eastern Europe. And Philippi is this Roman colony. And it's known to be a place of patriotic fervor. A lot of people who retire from, I don't know what age a Roman soldier retired. Probably 35. I don't know. The life expectancy probably wasn't that great. But um, the Roman soldiers and uh, the military high-ups, they would go to Philippi. And it was a city that was just very fervent 
and um, in their patriotism. And the process, and Christians were being persecuted because they were pledging allegiance to Jesus. So Epaphroditus brings these gifts to Paul while he's in Rome, in, while he's in prison. And Paul's letter to the Philippians is a thank you note. It's a thank you note that he sends back with Epaphrodites. And what he wants to do in these first two chapters is lay out all of the ways that Paul is encouraged by the Philippians and he wants to encourage them to continue to be a people united by the cross, united by Jesus. Paul implores the church at Philippi to be self-reflective as a means to draw their minds towards the other. Paul is saying, please look inward so you can live outward in the image of Christ. We'll explore this a little bit later. So right now our meditation is going to continue because Kyle is going to come up and lead us in the second verse of Peter's song. And you can sing along with him. The words will be up on the screen. And when I come back after um, Kyle leads us, we're going to talk more about what does a cross-shaped unity look like. We will walk with each other. We will walk hand in hand. We will walk with each other. We will walk hand in hand. And together we'll spread the news that God is in our land. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. And we are one in the Spirit. challenges in being a human is to conceptualize someone else's lived experience outside of our own. Now, we can do it, and we can do it beautifully, but it's hard. It's challenging the further removed we are relationally or geographically from another person. Never mind if we, are, if we ha inhabit different skin tones, genders, or sexuality. It's easy for us to put us in the place of the suffering of our child or our family or our dear friend, but to think of the other who doesn't look like us or love like us or move in the world like we do, it's hard. Paul knew that in Jesus, a movement was happening that would bring together all sorts of different kinds of people, each of whom would struggle with seeing the world through the eyes of the other. Philippi, as a hotbed of patriotic fervor for the Roman government, the world viewed through that lens in that city was one of a triumphant, conquering culture, and it had no real place for the other. But Paul is trying to teach these people 
that there is a uniting identity, not in being a patriotic Roman or a soldier in the Roman army, but rather a united identity in Christ. Paul wants a self-reflective people. Those who examine themselves have a clear vision for what they honestly think and what they truly feel. Much like those men yesterday at the men's retreat, they shared so deeply and powerfully and honestly about where they were in the moment. And that struggle brought us closer together. Paul is banking on the idea that the deep, innate desire to be treated with kindness, grace, compassion, and acceptance would influence how Christians would treat others. And Paul is also a realist. Paul knows that for the most part, people look out for their own selfish ambitions, and so he has to turn to the only thing that offers a tangible measure of hope that people will be different than their surroundings, and that is Jesus. This is not an exercise in self-actualization. This is an exercise in imitating Jesus Christ. Growing up, I can remember sitting in church and talking about church unity. Of course, I can't remember anything specific. I do remember that whenever unity came up, though, it was often in times in which church people were fighting with one another. <laughs> or rather, it was a way for people to live together in harmony. Let's stop talking about that divisive thing. And reflecting on this passage and having this song playing in my head repeatedly, I started to wonder if those early memories or calls of unity are more akin to conformity, actually, rather than true unity. Now, Paul warns against conformity in a passage in Romans 12, too, where he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. So how does conformity work to create cheap unity? So when we conform to something, we allow ourselves to be shaped in attitudes and behaviors and expectations to whatever a person or institution is doing the shaping. And there are so many conforming factors pushing in on us all the time. There's people, institutions, our cell phones, our Facebook, our Instagrams, our Snapchats, pushing in and shaping and molding and conforming us. These institutions, these forces, these people can be hard to discern which of these are coming, well, sorry, it's hard to discern the direction with which the forces are pushing on us the most because we're pulled in all sorts of directions. As humans, we are drawn towards the certainty and safety that conformity provides. Everybody knows that. In fact, even church growth people know that, that if you get a homogenous group of people that are from the same place, look the same, vote the same, think the same, listen to the same music, your church will explode because everybody walks in and sees themselves. It's a rare individual who truly wants to stand outside on their own, outside of the group. 
And few places reinforce the risk and the danger of being an outsider than the church. And we all know it. In one way or another, we are fearful of our brokenness being discovered when we walk into the building of the church. It kind of goes with the territory. Because to be broken sinners is to throw yourself at the mercies of those who wear a mask of self-righteousness. Now, I've been in church my entire life, and I come from a long line of church-going families. And if you have spent any time around church, you know that churches can be vicious and hurtful places. This is not one of those churches. It's also not a church that is perfect. The videotape of mistakes I have made in ministering here is long and gets played most often at 2 a.m. when I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't sleep. But this church has loved me in my immaturity and at my hubris times, and I'm humbled by it. And as a side note, if you are here as a person who's been deeply wounded by a church, I'm so sorry. It should not have happened. Churches are places of refuge, of safety, of shelter, not of abuse, manipulation, and twisting. And if that's your experience, I am deeply and profoundly sorry. The ways churches hurt people inside the walls is long. Sexual abuse, corruption, emotional, spiritual, and psychological abuse are evil and reflect the description Jesus gives of the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy in John 10.10. Then there are the cultural forces that infect and conform the people of the Lord's church into distorted reflections that try to be the cross of Christ, but they are not. Nationalism, racism, sexism, homophobia, greed, usury, the list goes on and on by the cultural forces that pour in through those doors and infect this space, pushing and molding and shaping I use the term cheap unity because at the moment, I am the one standing up here speaking to all of you, and the conformity of a church that has historically favored people like me, cisgendered white men, has come at a deeply painful cost to people who don't look like me. So the unity for me has been cheap because it has cost me nothing in the broad scope of the history of the church. But sitting in our pews and sitting behind the computers, there are people who have been kept out of the doors of the church, out of the speaking spaces, out of the teaching spaces, out of the praying spaces, merely because of the color of their skin, who they're in a relationship with, or their gender. That is expensive, costly unity. John Matthau, a pastor of a Harbor Online Community Church, says there is only one path, and I'm going to call the the rest of the group up now, okay? There is only one path to true unity, honesty, grace, and most importantly, justice. We will work with each other. We will work side by side. We will
comes, how am I called to be one in spirit? With Christine, when she reads a story in the news about the way black boys are assumed to be behaving. How am I called to be one in spirit when Spencer is faced, uh, how am I to be called one in spirit with Spencer when the violence perpetrated on Asians spiked during the pandemic? How am I to be one in spirit with the student who is gay when they say to me, I'm not sure I can be who I feel like God made me and still be welcomed in the church? How am I called to be one in spirit with Denise, who's battling cancer? Or Miss Pat, who lives every day with the loss of Reggie? I'll tell you, it has to cost me something. It costs me my sense of ease, my sense of safety, my sense of certainty, my sense of place even. Cheap unity is a unity filtered through the lens of a narrow worldview which seeks as its primary objective to create certainty and safety and ease. And that is not cross-shaped unity. The cross. When a cross-shaped unity takes hold of a community, the scriptures tell us that we will shine among the people like stars in the sky. And Lord knows that the sky outside is certainly dark. Paul is calling us to this cross-shaped unity for one reason and one reason only. Because Jesus had dealt with Paul, the chief sinner among sinners, that way. Verse 6, in his very nature he was God. Jesus was equal with God, but Jesus didn't take advantage of that fact. 
Instead, he made himself nothing. He did this by taking on the nature of a servant. He was made just like human beings. He appeared as a man. He was humbled and obeyed God completely. He did this even though it led to his death. Even worse, he died on a cross. So God lifted him up to the highest place. God gave him the name above that is above every name. When the name of Jesus is spoken, everyone will kneel down to worship him. Everyone in heaven and on earth and under the earth will kneel to worship him. Every mouth will say that Jesus Christ is Lord and God the Father will receive glory. A cross-shaped unity is the unity of sacrifice and giving and looking at oneself so that you can look at the other the way that Jesus does with grace and mercy and forgiveness and belonging. Let us pray. Dear God, may the love of God be reflected in our hands. May the wisdom of God be reflected in our words. May the knowledge of God flow from our heart and may the peace of Christ end our hostility towards the other. May we be the light that people see when we leave this place to work and move amongst the people you love and the creation you deemed good. May we be people of justice in the face of injustice. May we be united by the shape of the cross. May we be conformed to the pattern of Jesus. May we be transformed by the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I'm excited to continue in our time of worship together. I want to call up Claudine, who's going to bring prayer.